It's always wonderful to be back. A big yeshikach to Rav Mordechai for his untiring efforts. I want to give a special mention. He's going to get it twice today. But uh, I uh, drove up here and I did not have somebody with me. And then when I got here, Baruch Hashem, there's no traffic on the way. Thank you very much. So when I got here, I realized that there's a small parking issue. I went around for about 15 minutes, couldn't find a spot, and then I pulled up to a pump, which you can't stay very long, it's dangerous and it's illegal, and I came into the building looking for somebody to quickly move it before the police come, and Shuren walks in better than the police, a judge, Judge Cross walks in, and I said, can you move the car, and I said, what are you doing here, didn't you move also, and he said, he drove in from the five towns. That's Yerzchus, uh, uh, So he did move the car, and uh, probably for a small ransom, I'll find out where it is. Uh, this, as we had last time, just uh, asked me to mention, the uh, cars are now coming out with a small USB port. Uh, basically, the Sherm all free. It's $10 for blank ones, and we just fill them up again for the next customer. Uh, they'll be available with either Mordechai or Jay, whoever you happen to uh, bump into first. And uh, there are over a thousand. We uh, don't know exactly how many, but it's a recently loaded one. There's probably well over a thousand. It should hold you at least till Memorial Day. And uh, if they're working, they can be downloaded, uh, plug it into any computer. But if your car happens to handle it, there should be in the newer ones a USB port. I always like starting Thanksgiving, even though there's no union whatsoever to mark the Chaga, according to many, in your USB, there's about 80 shirim where we discuss Thanksgiving, whether it's a mitzvah, whether it's asr, whether it's parv, all sorts of interesting sheets. It only took us like three weeks to get through that uh, subtopic. But, hello, Dover, who at least the Goyim recognized there's a time to stop and th- say thank you. Uh, we have it every day, three times a day in Maidim. And we'll begin with that. It's a fascinating Medrash, Medrash Rabban Bereshis. That Bereshis, one of the many drushes, is Bishfil Reshis, Reshis Bikurim, which is striking. All of the Tayag Mitzvahs, the Bereshis, you understand, Bishfil Kla Yisrael, Bishfil Tayrav, Bishfil Bikurim. Bikurim is one of those things we relegate to if I happen to be a farmer and I have a ribbon and I tie it around, I can make it up to Yushalayim. It's a wonderful mitzvah. Bishfil, Bikurim. So all the Mepharshim say that it's not about Bikurim per se, it's about what Bikurim represents, which is Hakaris Taking the brachas that you have not assuming it's coming to you, not taking it for granted, and taking them, and more importantly, because thank you to Akash Baruch Hu, he's really doing it for us. But the way to show Akash Atayv is to utilize what you're given instead of just taking it and getting more comfortable with the shower of Baruch Hashem of Gashemias and security that we have. It should last the Panasa Barevach and the security, and the Yishva Das, Abiyaz Gol Tzedek, but Lamaisa, it's a Chidish Nifla and Golas conditions, and we have to constantly remind ourselves that if we have it, we have to use it to raise the bar, which is going to be today's discussion. There's a fascinating Medrash Rabban Kehelis. There was a fellow, an Akum, who saw Rabbi Yudab, Rabbi Loi, and his face was beaming. So an over him, he said, I don't know who you are, but either Aden Gavra Chada Mentlas Milin. You're one of three things. Couldn't understand, his face was mama shiny. Either you drink a lot. Why else did you walk around with such a smile? Or you have a very good credit facility, you loan a lot of ribbons, you make a lot of money. 
That's choice number two. Or you're Marbi Chaziri, you raise Chazerim, which is also a very lucrative enterprise. To which he uh, answered that I'm none of the above. I don't loan Baribis because I can't. The Nisar Ribis. At the risk it wasn't used much then. I can't be raising Chazerim because that's a separate Nisar the Rabbanon. And drinking wine, I have abracasis and I have a headache till Shavuos. So you're wrong on all three counts. So then I asked him, so why do you look so happy and content? And he said, Which means that the only thing that ultimately is going to give somebody real sipu kanefesh is Torah and mitzvahs. And we have an ongoing machlekes with you, Masailam, and unfortunately even with our brethren who don't know about Torah mitzvahs yet. And the clash is more evident in modern times where we have this shifa of Gashmias, and the pursuit of happiness is something that's always hotly pursued, never attained, if you don't know what you're looking for. And there's one very central yesod we all agree on, and that's where we part company. We all agree that we're here to enjoy. The question is, how do you enjoy? Where the Umas Ailam and uh, the not yet from will believe and understand or misunderstand that it's Magadha Chazerim, highfalutin finance, money, drinking. And uh, we are taught, and we live, that all those, on occasion, Shabbos, Yantiv, Simchas, can help get us in the mood, so to speak. Lamaisa, if we're not pursuing our Ruchnius, and we're not being Mesa Nefesh for it, even though it looks difficult in the short term, we're not going to have any Sipak Nefesh. And that's really how to enjoy. We're constantly uh, focusing on Madushne Einig. We say it, we sing it. You ask somebody, Stop in the street this Shabbos and just ask him, well, what do you mean? Some will say, uh, what's the matter? Did you ever have Pacha? Do you not know what uh, good schnapps? Felicia Suda? I'm a Dushneyenig. That's the uh, small potatoes. Again, it might facilitate a jump start. I'm a Dushneyenig. Can't be. Kleinstrom knows how to eat. We also know how to drink on occasion. We can't be known as Am We're the people who are the most Mu'unig. The Umas Elam know how to do it better. What does it mean? It means that real Einig comes with the Ruchnius, knowing the MS, pursuing it, trying your best. And if you do it, then you're a person who's really Medushan Ba'inig. And that's our topic today. Let me begin with a very strange Marmokum how I got this uh, fascinating tidbit of information is irrelevant, but uh, once I heard it, I always tried to blend it in. Anybody ever hear of uh, Mario Mendoza? Not your next door neighbor? He could be. So Mario Mendoza is either famous or infamous after you hear his story, you've got to feel bad for the guy. Mario Mendoza was one of the, uh, I don't want to say greatest, but greater shortstops in baseball history. It's Gavaldic. Shortstop is, as you know, uh, one of the most difficult positions. And it's called a shortstop for a reason. And a uh, line drive, and you happen to be there, if you want to get in the line of fire to do your job right, you'll do it. And uh, you've got to be quick. And in terms of the defensive capabilities of any team, it's, uh, it's a tremendous position. And he was Gavaldic, if you can use the word. He had one little problem, which uh, his teammates noticed and his manager noticed, and then due to the fact that uh, for some strange reason in the baseball arena, generally by the Umas Elam, not only is Lashna Harash not shunned, but it's idolized. This is a great example, Lashon Hara, where they mamish, you could do somebody in. Besides the, in Yanomal Pianister, you mamish call somebody their job. 
Uh, he struggled most of his career with barely scraping a batting average of 200. He was at 195, 190, 198, which, um, if anybody knows, I'm getting a lot of blank stares. Baseball is they have a ball, a bat, gloves, and standing on the field. I don't know if I'm, uh, maybe I have to explain this a little more. But um, he, uh, his batting average was um, horrible. And it was so bad, there was a dean among uh, the managers and among the owners of the various teams he played on and his uh, teammates who were claiming that maybe he should go back to the minor leagues. The defense of Mario himself came from other teammates and they said, send him to the minor leagues. He's one of the best shortstops in Major League Baseball and he's doing wonders for the team and how can you send him to the minor leagues? The answer that ultimately, unfortunately for Mario, ultimately won out is that you cannot win this game only based on defense. And even though if you do the math, this is the Pella. He, by the way, got over 200, if you average all, by the end of his career, 201, 202, I remember the exact number is. But schwach. How schwach is it? 200 means he got, out of, got on base one of every five times. If a guy's batting 250, it's the one of every four times. The difference is not that great, but unfortunately for him, it was very noticeable. And he was actually uh, demoted uh, to the minor leagues. The reason I think this marshal was so important is because of the argument that he used and his friends used to try to keep him in, and the fact that uh, Yiddishkeit actually agrees with the argument that ended up sending him to the minor leagues. And that is that if you spend your life in a defensive position, just holding the line, and you're not on the offensive, I know you were going to slug me up, but in football they say that the best offense, the first, uh, best defense, how's it go? Offense, defense, best offense, good defense? I think that's what okay. that's, I know that's, uh, I think that's football, but it doesn't make a difference. The marshal over here is that here we have somebody who is able to hold his own and is stopping the enemy from getting further. But he wasn't producing, and he wasn't growing, and he wasn't pushing them in the right direction. And therefore, he was demoted. The nimshol over here is the fact that in Yiddishkeit, if the good news is that you're from, and you're to learn, and you're to send your children to yeshiva, and you're to be in the system, which you're already in the minority, can't say that if you're only playing defense, it's worthless. But if you don't actively plan on how to go on the offensive to constantly see where you can improve and raise the bar, ultimately it's not just a question of playing defense, it's a question of being pushed back. Nestler, when he discusses his famous theories with Nekudis of Bechira, says that the only Nisayan we have is exactly where that Nekudis of Bechira is. He describes a war with a battle with a front line. And the front line is being pushed 20 meters in this direction and 20 meters in that direction. And if you stand still, you'll be pushed back. And that message, which we'll going to discuss with many angles, is an uncomfortable one for everyone because we all do, we have to do Baruch Hashem, everybody here this morning, Davin, Davin Dominion. People sitting in this room already, more than Davin, they learned already, they learned an hour at least, maybe even more, and now they're here for another year, and some are going to stay for another year after that, another year after that. See, already on the offensive. But there are many people who say that I'm doing okay, and I'm already 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, whatever the age might happen to be, and um, it's enough. I am where I am, and I'd be happy if I can hold the line. 
And it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way in baseball. And it doesn't work that way in life. And if you can't look at every day and every week and every month, look back and see where you're at least pushing, whether you succeeded or not on a daily basis is not really your problem, then comes the law of diminishing returns if you just think you're going to stand there and not think you're going to be falling back. The Rambam says this at the very end of Hochus Chuvan. He says this about Avas Hashem, something we really think about. We'd like to be in the Marjega of Yiras Hashem. But the goal is Avas Hashem. The goal is to try to do things more Lishma. Chaim Velazhna says, even if you're never Lishma, you spend your whole life moving from 10%, 20%, 30%. If you end at 48%, but you work your way up, then that's great. But it's a constant avoid. The Rambam says, you have to constantly think about it and plan and focus what can be changed, what could be tweaked. So we say it every morning. means is if you're not working on furthering this avodah, raising it, improving on it, and you're not looking for eitzes, and you're not looking for chizuk, you're not being makayim b'chol levavcha. That's what the Rambam is saying. Share with you two tremendous chidushim, I think they're tremendous chidushim from Abdesla, in two different areas. We just spoke about the Kudus of Bechira, but he talks about something, this is not the first one we're going to quote, is not Mechtam Elio. They put together a two-volume set of letters and sikhas that were printed later, and many of them, if, certainly if you look at the subtitle and see where it was said, you understand where it's coming from. This particular one was said to a group of young Yeshiva Baruch Yisrael, it was a Syria Yisrael meeting, and Rav Dessler, believe it or not, with the Chaznish and other G'daylim in Menebrak and Yushalayim were actually in the very private, uh, top secret, if you call it, committee sending Yeshiva Bacharim. It's already a Chiddush. They rarely sent Yeshiva Bacharim out of Yeshiva before its time, under any circumstances. And here they actually sent battalions of Yeshiva Bacharim to go into Camps, absorption centers, kibbutzim. This is the early days of the Medina, where many Yidin Nebuch, many Svardim, were being held almost against their will and not being given the choice, despite the uh, government's assurance that they were. And these Yeshiva Bacham were actually sent in, crawl under barbed wire through the mud, often caught and beaten up. It's not a well-known piece of history. It's sent by Rabbi Vdessa's giving them a shmooze now. He's trying to explain to them why this is not normally part of anybody's job description, let alone Yeshiva Bacha. And they did it with amazing success and a lot of pain. They took people out. There are from a Yidin, Helegi Yidin, Rashashivas, among the Sephardim who have testified about this Kufa and testified that they were one of the people that were uh, brought out. It's a dark chapter in the history, but it's bright to see the fact that young people who are not uh, trained in the art of warfare, so to speak, were sent in and uh, did quite a job. And this is part of, of Dessler's pep talk. And he first takes out time to explain why every generation has this Nisianus, and every generation has to figure out, besides Tayyag Mitzvahs, everybody has to do everything in Shulchan Aruch. And learn as much as you can, and give as much stock as you can, be machzik teira. All that's basic. And then after all that, you've got to figure out what your personal avoidance and tachas is. Often it's just to focus on all of this, and that's enough. And sometimes it's, I say, branching out, not into new mitzvahs, that's Baltasif, but to focus on certain areas that you feel are part of your tchunas and efesh to capitalize on and to use the talents in that specific area. And a gisp shot and a gemara, which we all know and frankly never really understood until you see this or hear the shtickle. 
especially the Maharshal's comment. The Gemara is the Gemara Antinus on Chav Gimel Manalaf. The Gemara Antinus has many maizim about droughts and nisim that happened to get them out of the droughts. Most famous one of them all, probably. And there's no, or not much of a water supply waiting. They came to Chani Amagel. And they asked him to daven. Do we all know Chani Amagel? One of the reasons it's called Chani Amagel is that Shiloh, there were two Chani Amagels, believe it or not, but not for now. And he drew a circle around him. He drew a line in the sand, as we'd say, the expression goes. And he said, I'm not moving until my tefillah is accepted and it starts raining. So we all know, it started drizzling. He said, I didn't mean that. It started pouring. He says, I'm not that much. It's got to be, uh, be something we could use, something we could survive. And then a Kosh Baruch Hu had it rain and everything was uh, filled up, Baruch Hashem. After he finished, picture the scene. He drew a line in the sand, but this is the Am Everybody was watching this nace about to happen. That didn't happen. After he finished, Shemim and Shetach, who was the Abbasdin, was angry and sent him a note, a very unusual note. He said, if not for the fact that you were Chani Amagol, I would put you in Cherem. The reason that's an unusual message is because we've had other, not many, Baruch Hashem, other Maisim in the Gemara where they had to put Rabbi Lezagadol in Cherem. They didn't send him a note if not for the fact that you were Rabbi Lezagadol, we put you in Cherem. They put him in Cherem. The Shailah, the Radal, on Pekat Rabbi Lezagadol says, it was Cherem, was the need to the Shailah. What level Cherem? But they did it. Here he was upset about something, but there's already a remez that they didn't want to put him in Cherem because he sort of agreed and understood about the Mahalach. Maybe he felt it went a little bit too far here. We'll get back to explain that in a few moments. But he let it be known that he felt talking to Gosh Baruch like that. He said, what can I do? Yechani Amago, like a son who talks uh, maybe a little bit chutzpah to his father, and his father is his father, and he listens. And you're like a son, and he listens to you. So we're not going to put you in chayim. We all know that the Gemara goes on to tell us about Chani Amago. Chani Amago uh, was not only the, well, the tzaddiki ador, but he was also one of the G'dayli ador learning. Very clear from the Hemshech of the Gemara. Gemara says that he wanted to understand every piece of lumdus and shas and every agarata and every pasuk. And he got the pasuk, Hayinu Kechalmim. We're going to come back. And he said the pasuk is also referring to the first gulfs, which is 70 years. He said, got back to 70 years. How can you be Kechalmim? You've got to be sleeping if you're dreaming. And how do you sleep for 70 years? He didn't ask that Lakantar, of course. He asked him if he wanted to understand the pasuk. So, of course, we know afterwards, Kosh wanted to get him shot in the pasuk. So he put him to sleep for 70 years. And right before he went to sleep, he bumped into this fellow who was planting a boxer tree. And that takes a long time. And he said, what are you doing? You're an old man. He said, I have one for my grandfather. I'm planting one for now. I always wondered why the boxer that came to Brooklyn was hard as a rock. <laughs> so it takes a long time. It's probably due to the shipping. And he went to sleep. He woke up and he saw a young man harvesting a boxer tree. And he said, weren't you the one just planting? It takes 70 years. And then he started understanding that he just went to sleep for 70 years. He got up, he walked around in town, a town that he knew like the back of his hand, and he didn't recognize most of the streets. Finally made his way, he asked uh, where Chani Amagel used to live, looked at him a little bit odd. But he finally made his way to the street, came to the house, and he started asking the neighbors, is... Chani Amagol uh, had a son. Is the son still alive? So they said no, but his grandson's still alive. He knocked on the door, and he introduced himself as Zaidi Chani. It's the age before Gedelin pictures. So he looked at him, and he said, probably smiled, and said, very nice, and dropped a few coins in, and very embarrassing. So no, how do you prove your Chani Amagol? So he figured he's going to the Bez Medrash anyway. So he went to the nearest Bez Medrash as he's walking in. The Gemara says, providential, as he crossed the threshold, he overheard some of the Bez Medrash commenting, they just finished the sugya. He said, oh, we worked so hard in the sugya, Baruch Hashem, now it's clear. And the sugya now is as clear as it was in the days of Chaim Yamagal. That's when he walked in. 
So he went over and says, uh, I just heard that. Thank you very much. That's me. So again, they looked at him. Probably took out a few more coins. And continued learning. They were learning and learning, and he was in the base medrash. And the Gemara ends up, this is the most difficult part of the Gemara, he couldn't really find his place. And he asked the Kosh Baruch Hu to take his neshama, and the Gemara says, So what happened over here? There's one very good way, especially if they understand that the only way to get a sugya clear, it's like us saying today, oh, I didn't understand the sugya until I got this mahalach from Abchayim at Tzveidinim, I figured all the kashas out and everything's clear. So they did that and they said that was from Chani Amagel. So the very clear way to prove your Chani Amagel without a photo ID. And that is to stay in the base medrash and talk and learning. Which no doubt he did. And of course the question is, so why didn't that prove that he was Chani Amagel? Nobody else knew how to learn like that. The Masha, in one short comment, says something which adds to the mystery, and he tries trying to answer this question. He said, well, after a few hours, somebody commented, you know, he suddenly knows how to learn like Chania model, and nobody else matches his Bikiyas or Lundus. However, the Masha says, that he might learn his terrors like Chaniyamagal, but his Maisim are not. It wasn't a drought. They didn't need rain. It would have been a little chuspedic to say, listen, can you just go outside and draw a line in the sand and ask Hashem for, like it might have been raining that day. So how did they know that his Maisim weren't like Chaniyamagal? They already knew that his Lumdus was like Chaniyamagal. So Desla says as follows. I'm going to add, I hope explain. So if anything doesn't make sense, that's the part I'm adding. And if it does make sense, that's what Desla meant. The fact that Shimon Shatta sent a message that he thinks he went too far, he would like to put him a chayim, but he's not going to, tells me that he understood where Chani Amaga was coming from and why he did it. What's the problem? What's the kasha? Kasha is, if you're going to do an ace and you're going to ask or demand something from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so do it privately. You've got to stand in front of thousands of people and draw a line in the sand. That's where the chutzpah was. So, there was a plan over here. The people running Kalei were Shem They understood each other and they actually agreed on the Mahalach. The Mahalach in his generation, and I'll explain to you historically why, right now, if you're familiar with the Gemara and Brachis, the Shem Shetach was Yana Amel's brother-in-law. He was the only Chacham at large who was able to get things done because Yana had either killed everybody or exiled everybody and most people were on the ground. So a few Giberim, Shem Shetach, Hani Amagol, it was a disaster. This is right after a uh, spiritual holocaust and he decimated the Chachamim. It was one of the worst times in Bayashani. Shem Shetach now was reestablishing the rule, Yana Melech eventually died. I don't want to say Baruch Hashem, by Vedrisham Rina. He goes down in history as a Russia. Shailah, who he was, was he Yechen Kagoto went off. He was certainly bad for the Jews. He had a wife, Shamsiyan Amalka, and she was a Hilgit Sadekis. So he was from when they got married. The Shidduch was probably good when it started. Her brother was Shem Meshetach. You know this all from the Gemara Brachas because. Yana Melech, maybe that day he had some Ahuri Tshuva, he had a Suda and he wanted a bench and he was such an Amarit, so he didn't have a bench. So he said uh, to his queen, can you bring somebody who can lead the Zeman? So she said, there aren't too many rabbis left. He said, can you bring somebody? He said, well, if I bring somebody, you can promise me you won't uh, start up with him. So he said, I promise. I don't know what that's worth, but I guess he was more afraid of the Shalom Bayez issue, so he would keep his promise. I'm not sure. And I think he knew that one of the few remaining Chachamim alive was his brother-in-law, sort of had diplomatic immunity. And she calls upon her brother to come to the palace. Remember this Gemara, the strangest exchange. 
Shemeshetach almost looks like he was trying to start up. He sat down. Yanai wasn't behaving either. Sat down. They brought him in and they don't serve anything. But into the palace. So they said, he walked in. He said, just bench. Okay, Rabbi, you're here. Just bench. And Shemeshetach had the bravery to say, what should I bench? That Yanai Chaber had something to eat? We'd say those are fighting words. He could have said it differently. He was trying to make a point. His point was that the Chachamim are supposed to be running Klai Yisrael. You're not. And I'm not afraid of you. And um, if you want to do tshuva now, we'll work with you. If not, ultimately you're going to be gone. And Baruch Hashem, he died. Long before his wife did, and Shem sister put the entire Klai Yisrael back into the control of Shem But they had a lot of repair work to do. So the theme of the day was people were very, very depressed. People were very down and out and they weren't proud of the mitzvahs. Nothing was being done by Robin. It was an era of severe persecution. So the agreement of Shemeshet Achani Amagel and the other Cham who survived was whatever we do now, we're going to do it publicly. Show what Kavadah Teir is. Show some Nisim. Show Akash Baruch who is still with us. And he agreed on the general Mahalach. So he didn't put him a chayim. He said, I understand what you're doing. I think that uh, to talk exactly like that to Akash Baruch Hu is even taking this a bit too far. So please don't do that again. But I, I agree in general that the generation needs this. Two generations later, when Chani Amagel woke up, his grandchildren were alive. He had some very famous grandchildren, but they weren't famous because they advertised anything. They hid everything. Took great pains to hide all their mitzvahs, meisim tevim, and their kaya and the entire generation, Baruch Hashem, two days later, was on even keel and everything was okay and it was raining and there was Parnassah and there was Ruchnius and the yeshivas were up again and everything was fine and they can go back to normal. What's normal? What's the fallback position of a general Avedis Hashem? Whatever you do, keep it very quiet, under the radar, don't boast about it. I know somebody went to once to Rabbi Yeshev, that's all, and he uh, discussing uh, how to get a schuss and what he can use, and Rabbi Yeshev kept, uh, the person with him pointing out, this person does this, that, Rabbi Yeshev kept, kept asking him, does anybody know about that? So he said, yeah, does anybody know about that? Said, yeah, so Rabbi Yeshev kept going like this, ah, that doesn't count. It's very scary. <laughs> that's very frightening. It doesn't mean sometimes, Dafka, we call out pledges so people should know about it and be encouraged. So you have to, part of this shmuz, you have to know where to use it and what's needed in each generation. But his grandson, one of his grandsons, Abba Chokia, Gemara tells the same Meister that needed rain two generations later, one Kufa, and they came, and they came to his house, and he tried to avoid them. And when they finally showed up, he went up to Davin quietly, came down, and said, what do you hear from here? Davin, Davin, me Davin. Uh, Davin, he said, don't worry, the rain's coming. And started pouring. Wouldn't, uh, he had no shaykhs in the whole thing. And Chani Amakal's grandfather is standing with Neaveda making lines in the sand. So Desl says, the answer is that every generation has its needs and sometimes we have to accentuate certain midas and certain things he wouldn't do in other deiris and other tkufas. And it's not normal to take Yeshiva Bochum out of the Yeshiva and it's not normal to send them crawling under barbed wire. And it's not normal to have to do this, but there are people in Rukhniya Tikasakana and we have to save them. And therefore, you have to do it. That was the context of his speech. Today, we have an odd mixture between both extremes. Chaniyamago's time, they were doing everything very tremendous fanfare, very out there. But Dafka to encourage people to revitalize Klai Yisrael. His grandson lived at his Kufa. Everybody was back to normal. Whatever you do, don't advertise it. Today we have an interesting mix, and uh, depending who you are and where you are, you might need one or the other. You have to be very careful because we have the concept, Gaida the Gedusha, that if you're doing it for the right reasons to encourage other people and to show them how Geshmak it is and get into the learning and how nice it is and offer rewards and all the love Geshma we have in the system. Where it's needed, we use it, and we are using it, I think, with uh, good results. On the other hand, and I won't even, I hesitate to give the business as, as an example, of the Bittel terror and the potential threats of the Internet, we all know about hopefully by now, and everybody has their filter and their accountability, and it's hopefully not surfing more than necessary. 
Today, it's not just the internet that everybody feels that if I don't get up-to-date information every six seconds, you would think that's an exaggeration. I had a guy from the shul come to me last night in the parking lot, and uh, he started telling me about something. I said, yeah, it's, it's, it's an ongoing thing. We've got um, to work on it, but it's going to take uh, a little time. When's the last time you got any piece of information? He said, I begged my wife, take me off of WhatsApp and everything else, any other app you have. I don't need every piece of information. I certainly don't need to know who had a baby in Bangladesh. It's not necessary. Even if they're related. I don't have to have real time. You can't just off the, your head and learning and davening, you, you can't function. You can't, this constantly, just the overflow. This fellow is a, is a businessman who knows what's going on in the world. He says, I can't, the flow of information is just killing me. Just, just overload. Besides the obvious problem of the bitletary lack of concentration and the threat to the preachers and all the other Lushan and things that we're being inundated with, which is a constant battle, probably the battle of our generation. Uh, the other issue is that um, they say that people feel that if I don't let the whole world know, forget the information we're receiving, if I don't let everybody know, people I know, people I don't know, just thousands of people, I don't get it out there. You know, they say uh, if it's not on Facebook, it didn't happen. So I don't want to mention the name of the best measures. You shouldn't be on there. And don't worry, you're not missing anything. I'm pretty technologically advanced. Never saw front page of any, or back page or middle page of any Facebook. And the feeling is, if I'm not in touch, I'm not tuned, and I'm not letting everybody else know and getting all their information, and on a good day, all their mitzvahs, some ice and tevim, that it didn't happen. What good is it if the whole world doesn't know? That might have been necessary in the time of Chani Amagel in terms of his projecting that Akash Baruch Hu is still with us and you've got to be proud of your mitzvahs, but there's a balance. And the, the art and the fact that uh, we feel that everything is uh, public information, it should be public information, and if you're from, it just means that you keep advertising all your personal mitzvahs and mitzvahs and your whole avodah, and the fact that people are discussing their personal struggles in a forum that doesn't belong is a very frightening thing, and it's getting worse and worse. So yes, in certain situations, you have an advantage. You want to send out a blast that you feel this sheer needs encouragement. You want to send an email to all your friends. You want to ask them, you just finished that hockey for four hours. Where were you? And uh, didn't you get this announcement? And send them little clips, especially this one. <laughs> so that could be a very positive thing. The problem is how far are we going with it, and what is it doing to us? It's definitely in many areas impeding our growth just to be able to concentrate and get through a davening and get through a shear. And uh, it has to be revamped. The second part to trying to figure out what our individual avoda is, which I'm not pushing. I once mentioned this in a shear, and people said, uh, I'm still working on all of Shulchan Aruch and uh, my Sadarim. Uh, can I come to you later and you'll tell me what my avoda is? I said, only Asik Benestaris. I'd have to know you very, very well. People, the better I know somebody, I, I, I can touch up where a weakness is and where a strength is. But don't wait for a bus call as we discuss these things. You have to look for simonim that are not supernatural. And there are plenty of them, Baruch Hashem, in life. Meshachachma has a very fascinating insight talks about on the Pasuk of Ayyam, Ramesha, Kalmuchama, Machana, Yeshua is waiting on the foot of Harsinai, Moshe Ben is coming down, Chet Egel is going on, and Moshe Rabbeinu, even though he had information already from HaKadosh Baruch what was going on, he comes down, Yeshua Ben is nowhere near the Machana either, so he hears a lot of noise. So Yeshua Ben says to Moshe Rabbeinu, I hear a Kalmuchama, they're, they're screaming and yelling. And he figured, he just fought Muhammad against the Amalek. And he figured that just like he was sent out to fight Amalek, Amalek, the downfall of Amalek, the many Chazals that say this, and Meshachachma alludes to it, the downfall of Amalek has to come through B'nai Rocho, which was Yoshua from Ephraim, Yosef. And he's alluding to the fact that I'll go down with you, Rebbe, but I guess I have to go fight again. 
And Moshe Rabbeinu told him that it's not a kol mulchama in terms of a physical battle. It's a ruchniyistika battle, and it's not your geshefts, so don't worry about it. You should worry, you should daven, but Moshe Rabbeinu understood from what he was hearing that as the leader and as the representative from Shevet Levi, who's taking care of the Ruchnius, the Klai Yisrael, it's his battle. And the Meshach Chachma alludes to the famous Gemara, which is sometimes misquoted, so we'll try not to, if you say this over, in the uh, always very uh, exciting and contentious discussion of Yeshiva Bachar, young man, on, with his parents, with his in-laws, with his friends, on where he should be going in life, which we find it fascinating. I have young ladies who are going out calling me to ask me as I asked this young man who I was going out with what he wants to do when he finishes a few years in Kailo and he didn't have a clear, concise answer. Should I marry him? Good question. Loaded question. My first answer always is, well, that's definitely not a reason to drop him like a hot potato. It's a 22-year-old young man who's into his learning doesn't necessarily have to know. Is anything wrong if he has a plan? Not necessarily. Is anything wrong if he has an idea and he wants to dream? Wonderful. The fact that you don't know where something's going to end up in life is pretty obvious for anybody who is older than 22, some of the people sitting in this room. You might have noticed in life a lot of the plans you have never came to fruition, a lot of the things you never expected in a good way. All of a sudden, that a left field... Hit the quote baseball, there's one more coming. That's why I don't want to go down in one share three times. But L'chaira, the older you get, the more you should realize that if you're trying your best with some heshtadlus, what the future brings is anybody's guess and depends on what you're creating in terms of your future. Your mitzvah is and about creating what the gizar din is going to be, the next Rosh Hashanah, which is very basic. We'll get back to that in a few moments. So the Meshachachma mentions the Gemara with that long disclaimer. The Gemara tells a Misa where Rabbi Yechon, so also Gemara and Tainus, Chafal from Aleph, Rabbi Yechon and Ilfa were Chavrusas. Rabbi Yechon and Ilfa were the two brightest, greatest Tanidacham at the time. That's why they were Chavrusas. Not always like that, but they were Chavrusas and they were Misa and Nefesh in a tremendous way. Nobody in the Yeshiva B'chlal had too much money to their name. Rabbi Yechon and Ilfa were Mamish on the verge of starving. So much so that the Gemara picks up on the Misa that one day they were so hungry they decided they're leaving Yeshiva and they're going to have to do some Ishtadlis. So they leave Yeshiva with the clothes on their back and doesn't say what Ishtadlis they're about to do. Mind you, for a different year, Bechner was from a, quite a well-to-do family. And uh, he was already learning, I don't know where Ulfa was from, but he was learning for a long time, and he sold off asset by asset. This is already after many years, but now he was down to zero. So that piece of information, not for now. I wonder why didn't he just keep, keep a few buildings? And you know, Apparently it uh, wasn't assets as we describe assets, and he was about to starve. They leave the yeshiva, and they stop to rest under a bridge. And Rabbi Echanan overhears a conversation which we now know was two malachim conversing. And one malach said to the other malach, we have a bridge here, bridges were notorious in the time of Chazal for being pushovers. So, although a malach can push over the Brooklyn Bridge, maybe I can also, but uh, they were threatening to push the bridge onto both of them. Either they were sitting on the bridge and they were both died on it, or they were sitting under the bridge and it would cave down. And he overheard one mile saying to the other mile, they're leaving Chaye Eilam and they're being Isaac and Chaye Shah. This is a tall order. They were starving. Apparently it wasn't Sakhan Stafashis yet. And the Malach wanted to push it down on both of them. Nishti alayu haigudov and aglinu. Let's push the bridge on onto them. Shemenichan chayelam habav eiskin b'chayishah. Amaleidoch. So the other malach, the defending malach, said, "Shavku, leave it alone. The ikah b'huchad the kaimel shaita. 
One of them is going to become the Gadol Adar and Klai Yisrael is going to need him. Didn't say which one. So looked up and he turned to his dear friend Ilfa, who was a very great person and will remain a very great person. And he said, did you hear that? So he said, hear what? Did you, did you just hear something very unusual? He said, no, didn't hear a thing. Abiyachanan picked himself up and went back to the yeshiva. And Ilfa continued. The silver lining of the story at the end was that Ilfa came back after many years, apparently learning all those years and doing whatever business he was doing. And he was hanging from a ship and he said, anybody have any kashas and gunshots, ask me, I know it. And he knew it. Abiyachanan, though, became Abiyachanan. It's not a critique of... There are many, many angles in this Gemara, much ink has been spilled, at, uh, at the danger of misrepresenting what the message is. The Pashtis, I think, is that Ilfa didn't hear it because this was an Isayan that he was passing by doing some Ishtadlis and remaining and learning. Hence your Chashav of who are working and learning. And Rabbi Yechanan heard it because he was destined to remain in yeshiva. Why would the Gemara tell us this? Well, the Gemara is showing us that if you're Zeche, we're not going to hear any malachim. If you hear any malachim, by the way, come to me. I have somebody I can send you to. Uh, that's not going to happen. Even the dreams sometimes people call me with. They usually um, they want to do a toughest challah. I mean, if a guy has a dream three or four times, that's when we start discussing Hatavas Chalayim, unless he's really bent out of shape or making decisions based on the dream. It's possible. But over here in Malachim, uh, it's Rabbi Yechelen. The point of the Gemara is every generation, every individual on their Madrega has to have their ears perked to be able to listen for some message and look for some proof. Look for some guidance on where they can succeed and where they can use their particular keiches. The danger is you might misread it. And everybody's mashuchet and everybody has their own amidus they're working on and everybody reads things the way they want to read it, which is why you need an objective third party to help you decipher it. It's not as easy as listening to a malach, but it's doable. The problem I have noticed I didn't uh, make this up to put this in. I mentioned to you it's not uh, baseball day. But I had laryngitis a couple of weeks ago. Anybody who follows this year on live, Baruch Hashem managed to give them, but um, I was like almost eating the microphone. Uh, so if you're able to hear it, that was uh, Siata Deshmaya. And um, in that uh, three-day period, I'm not sure of a voice. If I go pick up something at, at a store, like a bottle of milk, like the, the guy couldn't hear me like... Uh, you know, giving the chat, couldn't get a word out. So uh, one of the fellows who bumped into me, not from the shul, he wasn't, I don't know if he's Jewish, not from me, he wasn't, uh, passed by and he said, um, he said, I see you know the voice. I nodded. And uh, he said, uh, what happened? You were screaming for the Dodgers too much? <laughs> so I looked at him and I don't want to let on that I didn't even know the Dodgers were in the World Series, but I gathered from what he said, it's like late October, Dodgers, like, so I put two and two together, and I uh, said, no, I don't really waste my voice on that type of stuff. So he said, uh, you mean you were actually screaming for the Astros? And I found out the second team that was in the series. I'm a big maven. I figure these things out, Lamar Freya. So um, I said, no, I wasn't really involved, and I want to start explaining to him that, uh, yeah, I try to, you know, I have to prepare for Shurim, I'm going to Flapper soon, I've got to stop preparing, and, uh, and um, I don't scream about these things, Chazal say, and I mentioned this in the Shir that night, uh, Chazal say, you should scream, Yeheshmei Rabbah, and it rips up Gizardinim of 70 years, so that, when people are standing in shul, and you have a guy screaming, Yeheshmei Rabbah, looks at him like, okay, either we just got off the boat, or we just learned the Gemara, or something else is wrong. A guy like that, if you were sitting next to him in Dodger Stadium and he was screaming and yelling, everybody would think that's perfectly normal. Allah Dabrahu. Scream the Yeshbe Rabbi. You don't want to take this too far, do you? So that's a problem. But that's, we're very American and we understand somebody screaming and yelling. He asked me, is Dabrahu Pusha? Like, he just wanted to know which team I was screaming for. Is Dabrahu Pusha? That's why I lost my voice. I was embarrassed. I couldn't even tell him I lost my voice screaming Yeshbe Rabbi. So 
we spent, um, I was nodding most of the time, but he told me that, uh, yeah, and, uh, they went to seven games, then lost anyway, and then the Yankees almost got in. He's given me a whole terror, which I didn't need. But uh, it, after I thought about it, uh, it actually was useful. Because he mentioned to me that uh, there were, as there always are, let's say five teams that almost make it and make it to the top, the five best teams. And he mentioned to me, life isn't fair. We live in a very cruel world. He said that often what happens after the team that's very good, but somebody's got to win and somebody's got to lose, they take the entire administration, they take the manager, and they fire them. I think he told me that happened with the Yankees. What would you guys know about any of this? Aladavrahu, here's a manager who took a team, I don't know how many teams, no one's going to answer that question, no one wants to incriminate themselves, but there, I don't know how many teams there are in uh, Major League Baseball, but I understood all this from the conversation that the Dodgers and the Astros made to the World Series and the Yankees almost made them. I don't know what almost means, but he insinuated it was very close. I think he insinuated that they fired the manager afterwards. That's so connected everything we're discussing. Because I would say if you have a manager who did 98% better than any other manager, give him a bonus. Don't fire him. Where's the Seichel? The other ones who were at the bottom, they got fired. Maybe they, maybe they also got fired. Because every year everybody gets fired. Only person doesn't get fired is the guy who wins the World Series. Maybe. Our Ashkaf Asachayim is, and this can't be uh, overstated because this is the other half of the story that we have to build up the self-esteem, is that if you know you tried your hardest and you can prove you worked very hard with success because you made it into the top five or the top ten or the top fifteen, you deserve a medal and a bonus and most importantly, Lahavdil, you're Chelek Elam Habo. And I remember, I remember as a young child, and I remember in camps, and you all remember this as well, there were people, I'm happy to say I wasn't one of them, probably because they didn't even offer me the slot. But I remember, guys, if I'm not bad in cleanup, I'm not playing. Now, that's a little ridiculous. Be happy you made the team. I mean, that's why they never offered me cleanup. Um, I try to, like, coach on the side. It's a good career. You only get fired every two years. So where, where does that come from? That comes from the dripping gaiva in society that if you're not number one, you're not. And if you're not bad in cleanup, how good can you be? And I'm not playing. I'm not going to engage. Anybody in yeshiva, anybody in life, anybody in a shul, anybody participating in a shir, anybody looking for a chavusa, you're probably not going to be the best guy in the best medrash. And because of that, many people, because they're taught, even though they say once in a while, it's not if you win, it's how you play, that's not the real message. The real message of society is, if you're not the best, you're not at the top, you're not making the most, then nice try, but you know, better luck next time. It doesn't really add up to much. And the message of Chazal is, you have to keep your ears perked for where your strengths and where your weaknesses are. But it's really irrelevant what slot you're batting in and where you made it. And that is getting very lost on the youth and on everyone, which is why there's this uh, almost sick desire to constantly be mafarsim what you're doing in yourself. And because that's our shot at fame. If I send a blast and there's 85,000 people in my WhatsApp group, that's a small one. And I'm shooting this out in my, on my page, and I'm telling the whole world, ah, no one's reading it because everybody's inundated and they're all worried about what they're writing. But it makes me feel like I'm a somebody. In the days of PR, that's the only message we're getting. And in our Messiah, the message is the opposite. Everything you do, every machshava you have, every deeper, every maisa, is being recorded in Shamayim. And Agosh Baruch Hu writes it down, and keeps it. That means everybody here is famous. We're world famous, universally famous, eternally famous. And that message is lost, and I think we have to revive it.
The second Rav Dessler, we're almost out of time. Which we'll end off with, I guess, we we'll save the rest for Memorial Day. But, uh, this is in the myth of Melio, and he says such an incredible taich. We all know this Pusik. This Pusik is a Pusik in Kahelis, we land in the and it's also a song. It's probably five songs. But here's a Pusik that we all know, and if you just put the emphasis on the correct word, you have a whole different shot. The Pusik is, Shlomo Melach tells us, In English, we'd say the race is not to the swiftest. The smartest are not always the richest, and the chum don't always have lechem. So he used to think that he's warning us, be careful, just because you're smart, just because you're a giver, doesn't mean you're going to make money, doesn't mean you're going to be popular, doesn't mean you're going to win the war. Avdesla points out, the message of Shlomo Melech is, In Derech HaTeva, we live within Teva. A person who's a geber, certainly hand-to-hand combat in the ancient world, if you're not a geber, don't show up to the front lines. Hand-to-hand, just to lift the sword and the shield to guru. Shlomo Mal's message is, It's not pshat that you're a chacham and that's why you are bread. You're a novin, that's why you are money. You're a geber, that's why you're successful in battle. It's the exact opposite. Hashem was geyser on Rosh Hashanah that this year you're going to make X amount of money, or this year you're going to win in battle, this year you're going to accomplish A, B, C, and in order to be able to do that, Hashem, then to fit the Teva, gives you the Chochmah now and the Guru to be able to do that. It's the exact opposite of what we think the Pshat is. The Pshat, we usually think, is that it usually goes this way, but not always. We read the Pasuk, Lo lacham lacham, the Chochmah doesn't always have lacham. Avdessa says that's not Pshat. Pshat is that he doesn't have lacham because of the Chochmah. He has Chochmah because Hashem Paschal, he should have lacham. It's a whole different Pshat. Which means that all year around especially when you come back around to Elon Rosh Hashanah, but we're fresh off of Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. Lesson to be learned is, whatever Psach comes out, and we'll find out over the next year, is what tools are going to be given to us based on our mazel, our standing in life, our mission, our unique mission, what's going to be given to us in order to be able to fulfill it. Not that, oh, I'm obviously good at this because Hashem made me so smart. It's no, it's... What are you going to have the shifa to try to fulfill? And then Hashem's going to give you that if you want it enough, if you daven for it enough, if you're deserving. The exact opposite of what we normally think and how we approach the talents that we have and that other people have. I don't like ending with the Chochmah Gaim Taimen, but this is uh, all we have left for. And I think over the summer I quoted Winston Churchill, so I'm going to finish up part of his Chochmah Begayim. I say he was a good shaliach. He helped, helped end the war. He helped carry the war. He helped win the war. Kosh Baruch picked him. He had to have some schus. His famous quote, success is not final, failure is not fatal, and it's the courage to continue that counts. Now, it's very ironic he said that. One of the quirkiest things in modern history, to my mind, Winston Churchill was looked upon by the world as the man who saved civilization. The Americans weren't in. The rest of Europe caved in. There was nobody left. And this crazy guy started telling the mightiest empire in the world that you're not coming in here and we're going to fight to our last man and it didn't make any sense. And like Hitler and Akshamay was laughing and they just wanted to send in the Air Force and bomb them all. When you see the flows, why it didn't fall? Because Hashem didn't want them to fall because there was an end to the misery. No, the most popular man. Do you know that after the war he lost his job? He wasn't even a manager of a team. Lost his job. Now, there have been books written on this. They all make no sense. There's the man, if anybody's going to be swept to victory again, it's the prime minister, not only saved the country, but saved the world. And he lost his job. Talk about a fickle group of people voting. He lost his job, and all the Terutsim, the answer is, he said it himself. Probably said it after that election. Success is not final, but either is failure. And if we know that going up and down is part of the Nisyanis, but we also know that we're not here to relax, and we're here to push and find out, besides our handle on all of Tayyag Mitzvahs and Hasmada and Chesed and Tikkun Amidus, 
if we keep an ear out for what we can do with our personal talents, our assets, our chachmas, will then not only be a credit for the rest of Klai Yisrael, fulfilling a personal mission as well, you've got to get the proper Eitzah and have the Siat and most uh, certainly daven for it all the time, that you not only are successful in the Avedah that everyone shares, and the personal Avedah as well, we should all have a throughout the year.